You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Hey, everyone. I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to TFM's local books and comic show for Star Trek, and I'm just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and excited to have back with me, as he is every single show these days, the one, the only, Casey Pettit. How are you today? Hello, I am doing good. It's finally summer here in the Pacific Northwest. It is, it is, it, which is uh, a little bit interesting um because yeah it went from you know being you know like 68 to 90 overnight 90 basically (laughs) so yeah that was fun uh but uh yes we are definitely glad for that and you know what casey we also have some comics uh to talk about this week and so before we do that though just want to say a quick thank you to everybody who's listening and make sure you're subscribed so you get the show as soon as it drops wherever you're listening to podcasts of course if uh, you would like to help out the show which we always appreciate you can give us star ratings and reviews on places like spotify or apple podcasts of course sharing the show with your friends or telling your friends about the show is the best way to grow a podcast and of course you can also follow us on social media like twitter at trek fm facebook at facebook.com slash trek fm we're also on instagram at trek fm listeners only discussion group you can join you can talk to listeners from all over the world on the babel conference there on facebook and Truck.fm, the website, you can even send us an email there to contact section. And we did want to say a huge thank you to the associate producers here through Patreon. Uh, we've got Greg Rosier and Casey Pettit, who have been supporting not only Literary Treks, but the entire network for years now. And we definitely appreciate that because without listeners just like them, there's absolutely no way we can do this. And so we ask you to go to patreon.com slash trekfm and just see how you can be part of our team. And honestly, and it's so true, every little bit helps. So again, that's patreon.com slash track fm so casey mere war six i think finally has given us some answers it's it's definitely moving the story along more than the previous ones did yes uh which is a really interesting i think part of the story here um which is Picard and his crew uh, have been tailed, basically, uh, by the outrageous Ogawa, uh, which is interesting, uh, who has figured out their plans because of his previous relationship from Picard. And his plan, basically, Picard's plan, has been to sabotage uh, the, uh, the Ferengi Alliance, 
and all of their money um, and to basically steal from them um, so that they can uh, afford to build ships to crush the Alliance once and for all by attacking Kronos. Um, And I uh, can't believe it's taken this long for us to finally get an answer as to what the plan is. Yeah, it's um, it's been a long road, as they say, and I think this event even started off with saying that it's it's been a little time since the last uh, last issues that we've had, and um, yeah, it was nice to get a little action and some, like I said, just movement of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, and what's interesting is that's pretty much what happens. Like, there isn't a lot else to the story. Uh, And, you know, I think finally getting that answer is really nice. Um, You know, I I think it's just an interesting thing that it really has taken us this many issues, which this is issue six, where we finally have kind of an understanding as to the why of everything. And Mm -hmm. I will say, now that we finally have this answer... I don't really think that it needed to take six issues to get us to this point. No. <laughs> they could have almost had a zero issue and then this issue, and I think we would have been in a fine place. Mm-hmm. I, I like how we're starting to bring in more of the characters that we've seen throughout the series so far. Mm-hmm. Like we're tying it together that way with um like the Emperor, who I'm not sure if he's asleep or dead. But, right. Um, and then even with the outrageous Okana coming back. It, it does suck that he was introduced. I think I don't remember if it was just one one issue previously or a, a couple ago, but um, we don't get him anymore after this. They summarily execute him. So, um, which I, I guess I'm fine with too, just because now we can see what Picard is going to be up to, and now he's got this massive fleet of ships um, that have been stolen and uh, he shoves Okana out the airlock. Yes. Yeah. Um, he has uh, outlived his usefulness. Um, and yes. so therefore it is now time uh, to unleash the Armada, uh, which, you know, again, I, I think both of us are excited that we are finally here at this point. So I think it will be interesting in some ways, just to kind of see how this all wraps up. But I think I'm still completely baffled as to, is this just taking place in a mere universe of their own making that doesn't really have any connections with anything we've seen before? Because I will say the Mirror War Cisco issue really muddled that for me. I have no idea uh, yeah. how that connects with, one, anything that we've been reading, really, <laughs> Um, and two, how that connects with the mirror universe as we knew it from, like, especially Deep Space Nine. I I don't know. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of where I'm at with these ones, too, because with the just the Mirror War saga that we've been reading, I feel like for the most part it could fit in the mirror universe that we know, but... Yeah, once you get that Cisco one in there, and really any of the other ones, the Data one was another one that was um, uh, a little muddy on where it 
took place because I think I want to say it was in that one that he and Barkley did they kind of come to terms with each other or, mm-hmm. or they were like at each other's throats and it was just basically the opposite and the other mirror war books and so the Jordy was the one was the only one that fit right. I feel like really yeah. in this one um so yeah it's I like those one shots getting a little bit more insight into those mirror characters mm-hmm. but yeah again I'm not sure where like where those are fitting well and then the most interesting part of it is that they were some panels that alluded to like the deep space nine that we actually know. Yeah. And I was like, how does this connect with this Cisco at all? I don't understand what, and and maybe I'm just an idiot, which is, it's probably the case, but I did not understand how those connect, especially that one panel connected Mm -hmm. to anything with this character. Well, and it, it didn't even fit the dialogue Mm-mm. that was happening or the story Mm-mm. or anything. It was just this picture of Miles, Worf, Cork, and Jadzia. A, a nice shot of them, but nothing to do with the story. Mm-hmm. And I guess the other thing with the Cisco one, too, that I got really kind of confused and thrown off by was the character of Reyes that mm-hmm. I assume was supposed to be jake just not fathered by cisco because yeah i guess jennifer was the mother and it was like that cardassian mm-hmm. that was the father and cisco kept saying that there was like this recognition that he had of him and he wondered mm-hmm. about if it was another life what he would have yeah. been like or something and not to mention that reyes looked like a klingon not a cardassian right yes there were a lot of things that i felt like in this issue uh, slipped through, uh, you know, editorial that shouldn't have mm-hmm. because a lot of this just wasn't making sense to me. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I, again, I, I, it doesn't sound like it was just me, so that is a good thing to hear. <sighs> um, but I, I wish that I wish that this whole series didn't feel like this. You know, I I wish that it felt Mm -hmm. more cohesive and understandable as to what they're doing and why they're doing it. Um, I I wish the story felt like it had a reason for existence um, much sooner than, you know, issue six. So with both of these, I mean, you know, I I thought the artwork in the Cisco issue was pretty beautiful, actually. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, well done. The intendant felt very realistic for what we got in the 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 series of deep space nine um but other than that i i couldn't say that the issue with cisco felt like it fit at all with anything else we had been doing and so it kind of felt like completely unnecessary to actually do in the first place yeah i like the idea of the one shots but if you're going to put mirror war on them it seems like it should fit better Mm-hmm. in the overall yeah. story like something that you can slot in that if you didn't read it it'd be okay but right. just would m- make the story better yes yes well this could use a lot of and i and i i think the the struggle for me in this is like i can't say that you know you want to be able to say 
uh, as people are listening, oh yeah, you should really go pick up this issue. It's so good or, or this series. And in all honesty, like there's uh, so far, I find no reason for anybody uh, to be reading this series. And that is really frustrating because that shouldn't be the case. And it's unfortunate too with, um, you know, IDW has had so many great series mm-hmm. and, and even Absolutely. one shots uh, throughout their run. And um, I, what did I just hear? They're almost up to like 350 or 450 issues mm-hmm. since yeah. IDW has been going or something huge. And so to, it's just unfortunate to get something like this after so many hits and you yes. know, still trying to hold out hope for the, the last few issues of this. But yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. So, well, I'm excited because we are at the penultimate book in the New Earth series. And so, I don't know, Casey, maybe we should grab some respirators and head into some thin air. Okay, Casey, uh, we've got one more book after this in New Earth. And of course... Mm -hmm. If we're in the New Earth series, it means there's a new problem to deal with on this planet, which has been nothing but problems. But I have to say, I think this book um, has made a turn in the sense that not only did it use something from a previous book to the fullest extent to create this story, but... I loved the fact that this actually felt like reading the previous story meant something um, because we really, really connected to that in a couple areas. Um, And the biggest was in the the sense that this problem came from the ship, quote unquote, the clawed ship that attacked the colony and the Enterprise had easily destroyed. Mm -hmm. But bum, 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 they had other plans in mind. Well, and even in that previous book, one of the kids, actually it was Lillian Coates's kid, I guess, somebody got sick mm-hmm. and eventually got better. They didn't find anything. And it was kind of one of those things in that previous book that was like, okay, fine, another attack. There's going to be lots of these. And so you don't really think much of it. You're not dying for a conclusion kind of like we are with that one ship that's still out there somewhere from the first book um and yeah like one once they described the the ship that had crashed and the lake that it crashed and everything i totally remember that from the previous book Mm -hmm. and i was actually excited then to get into this one to find out what the ramifications were going to be of this attack yeah well and so what they did is they unleashed a virus that uh, on the soil of Beltaire that causes the soil to expand and create silica that, like silicon, that basically um, creates a cap over the entire planet, the land masses. Uh, and the planet at large when it's finished. Uh, and it it basically sucks all the a- oxygen uh, out of the the atmosphere. And the reason the clod are doing this is because then the humans will have to leave and they can have the oblivion mine. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this is really interesting because we've had all these just kind of like 
normal type attacks and everything and like ship to ship combat and all this stuff. So they went now for the scientific approach and this this was a, a as a book it was just a more interesting problem then for our crew I think to have to deal with than just oh just one more wave of ships coming at them. Yeah. And I feel like as the reader was a little bit more relatable in the sense of thinking of the silica as like a flood or, you know, that they were just going to flood the whole planet with water that we couldn't breathe or live in anyway. And I feel like it just ramped up the intensity of some of the places in the book too. Like when, um, like when Lillian gets trapped in the, Oh yeah. In the, webs or whatever like the way mm-hmm. they describe it it was even kind of just creepy oh, it's terrifying <laughs> and so yeah and it, it's really one of those situations like i don't know about you but like when i'm watching a movie and they swim underwater i'm i almost find myself holding my breath with the character yeah. in the movie like i can't and hold like, my breath that long <laughs> exactly and it was kind of the way in this too like you know not like as i'm reading it i'm thinking oh, like I couldn't hold my breath, mm-hmm. you know, for 10 steps either. Yeah. And especially with that feeling, like she, she described like having spider webs all over you or the spiders crawling over you. Like I'm right there with Kirk. I can't stand spiders. I wouldn't want to feel that either. No, no, I a hundred percent. I agree with you. And so to me, this was just a really nice change from where we'd kind of been beforehand and what was also nice too is it wasn't just another way in which the planet itself is trying to kill them Uh, it was a problem that came from our enemies attacking us in a a much more devious fashion Um, and so needing a scientific way to to get over this or to find a way to unlock what had been done. And and so to me, that was just really nice. And then two, again, I think the thing that was so great about this is that we just used all of this setup from the previous book, something that felt kind of like a throwaway and no ended up turning out to be something really important. And we did that kind of the same way. It's like all that stuff that was happening with Kirk and Lillian actually pays off as well here. And so... Mm-hmm. I just really appreciated that this book felt like it was a continuation in the series that be, we had been in. And like, you know, we've got somebody actually paying attention to what happened in the previous book and making it feel very cohesive finally. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt. Like, yeah, they're finally reading each other's work and we can continue on from that. And she even in this book has McCoy kind of lament that he didn't make a move with Lillian sooner. Mm -hmm. And even Kirk was like, yeah, I thought that was surprising too, but you know, you didn't. So I did. And that was something we talked about a couple books ago that we would have maybe liked it more if McCoy, if McCoy had gotten with Lillian instead. Yeah, no, I, I hardly agree with you. I, I think, um, you know, it's one of those things where, I liked that again, like you said, they they touched on something from a previous book and mm-hmm. it then helped make sense of the story that we had been in. So, you know, a hundred percent them actually just paying attention to the previous works made this book much better in that sense. And so 
I really love that. Um, and I'm glad that that was the case. And so I was, I was having a good time with Kirk and his bluffing uh, in this book because he does quite a bit of it and it worked really well. So, and it felt like Kirk too, like back to classic Corbomite maneuver stuff. And we knew that he was bluffing just based on what he was saying. He, we knew he wasn't going to go destroy their homework, their home world. Uh, but the enemy didn't know that. And so, yeah, just, and he bluffed big time with that huge, uh, Olivium bomb mule ship. Yeah. I mean, so like you said, it's not only the ship, but he also then bluffs about the fact that they've actually sent the same weapon to the Claude home world, mm-hmm. which is really fun. Um, and, and so in that, like, it, this this was just an interesting place for Kirk to be because there was an edge though to him in this, and I was wondering if if you felt like that edge came from Lillian's life hanging in the balance, as well as that kind of being the representation of basically the entire planet hanging in the balance, and the fact that they don't really have a way to rescue any everyone. Um, you know, they had an, the ability to put everybody in a canyon that was just rock where they could put a cover over it and they could maybe be there for a few months. But the large ships that they brought everyone in, they were really only able to fix up two of them to put people on again because they had cannibalized the ships so much. So Kirk's bluffing here, they're... It wasn't just all fun and games because I felt like he had a pretty hard edge to himself in some ways. I mean, everybody kind of laughs at it at the end, you know, but I mean, he doesn't have a lot of choices. It's almost an act of desperation on his part because, like you're saying, they cannibalized all their ships, which why wouldn't they? They're a colony. They're not expecting to go anywhere. The governor's even complaining that Kirk's solution to everything is just to evacuate the planet at some point. You know, they just can't keep these ships that can transport 60,000 some odd colonists just at a moment's notice. Um, I feel like if, even in the shows that we've watched, the Star Trek shows that we've watched, whenever they go to a colony, they've cannibalized mm-hmm. the ships that they arrived right. on. So I don't feel like that's totally out of line. Um, but yeah, I do feel like a desperation in Kirk to find a solution for this that gets the Claude off their back, or at least for a while, um, while they're solving the silica problem. And yeah, with Lillian's life hanging in the balance, um, he doesn't necessarily know at the time, I guess, that she's, you know, stuck in her home. But he's got a more of a vested interest in this colony surviving maybe than he had when he first started Mm -hmm. now that he's developing these relationships with the people. Right, 
Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. And I, I think you can definitely feel that. Um, and it definitely plays into the end of the book as, as well, just with where Kirk is and how he's feeling about this this colony. We did have another problem that surfaced, which was these people who became sick. We had a group of people mm-hmm. uh, that became sick, and apparently they are allergic to their radiation from oblivion um, in a way that other people aren't. And they they were also allergic to the medications that McCoy was creating to, to alleviate this problem for people. And what did you think of this story? Because it definitely is a side part of the story for sure. But it had some interesting implications on some things that we kind of seen, I felt like, throughout the series. Yeah, and this was actually a plot point that I'm a little surprised didn't come up sooner. Just because these people got very sick from the Olivia very quickly. And I feel like this would have shown up earlier. Um, And so I almost feel like this something would have shown up in the first or second book that maybe took some time, but I thought that this was a good story Mm -hmm. point. It seems logical that people would have, people are allergic to everything. (laughs) I'm allergic to everything. So it seems, it stands to reason that some people would be allergic to the Olivium and maybe would just have to leave the colony because of it. If they couldn't find any medical Mm -hmm. cures or anything for it. Um, but seeing also having Tegan, I think it's Tegan Welch, mm-hmm. the mother of the boy who was getting sick, seeing that connection added a lot of heart to this part of the story that, again, I think could have fit elsewhere throughout the series. Mm-hmm. Um, and and she's pretty smart, too. She's the one that's like, we need to get away from the planet. Like orbit is not enough mm-hmm. it's not enough we have to get a quarter of a light year away or whatever it was and partly because of her you know snooping around looking for a shuttle to steal and getting closer to the caption captain of the ship um they do move away nobody gets better and they discover that somebody's been stashing olivium on this medical ship like selfish mm-hmm. humans do trying to get rich. Yeah. So it just added a lot of humanness and more kind of more threats, I guess, to this story didn't really need any more, but right. it was also a very short book. So it's kind of a good B story anyway. <laughs> yeah. The whole idea of Dr. Atkins being the one who is helping other people on the ship here, hide Olivium that they were planning then to be able to take back and, of course, sell, uh, make a huge profit. Mm -hmm. And this is why they didn't want to leave the planet because if they left the planet and the people weren't getting better, they might suspect something was wrong, which it's because they are still near the Olivium. It's on the ship, Mm -hmm. and it still has the radiation, so there's no way to... uh, to help them. And so I, I like you, I, I thought, you know, this, this series, you know, kind of started off with a thief and a traitor being a part of all this, you know, uh, colony and causing problems for Kirk. And 
I I liked that we continued that thought process that, yeah, not everybody in in the 23rd century is a good person, you know, um, and there are still people who are just out for themselves and trying to make a buck, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, they this person, you know, these this doctor specifically is willing to go against everything it means to be a doctor for profit. Yeah. I mean, it's like, is this doctor a Ferengi? <laughs> <laughs> well, it also raises an interesting question with the Olivium. I think you had brought up with like the first or second book in the series about maybe how this Olivium was going to advance Starfleet's technology or the Federation's technology closer to where we would see it in later original series movies, but also next generation type technology. Um, And McCoy had mentioned a lot earlier too, about how the Olivium could have certain medical implications as far as creating cures for thing uh, for different diseases. And so this kind of calls into question, like, are we going to have people that have to be tested for medical allergies or, you know, like, penicillin are you allergic to penicillin are you allergic to whatever kind of meds that your doctor prescribes you know now we're gonna have to have are you allergic to livium on the little checklist that you yeah. <laughs> fill out at the beginning of your doctor's visit yeah no i mean i think the whole thing about it was is that it did create a really nice b story um and you know it was interesting to um it added a little bit of romance between Tegan and the, the ship's captain there as well as mm-hmm. they kind of got to know each other. Um, I, I think what it was really, what was really nice about that part of the story too, is that it was showing that this privateer captain uh, is somewhat similar to Kirk where he's very smart. He knows what's going on at his ship, you know um, he he's competent. You know, I thought that was nice to, to show that, you know, people in Starfleet aren't the only people who could be really good at their jobs. Um, so I thought that was great as well. So yeah, that whole storyline I thought was um, a nice ad. Uh, and, you know, it it created, like you were talking about with the silicon problem, this also created another bit of tension because anytime these kids had to go back near Olivium, um, it could really have a detrimental effect. But it was that whole thing of like, the needs of the one or the needs of the many, you know, and this whole situation really revolved around that. And so what did you think of, you know, we talked about Kirk bluffing, but the solution to their problem. You're talking with the uh, giant Olivium bomb. Uh, the, yeah, and the, and the, or you were talking about the sonic. Well, the the way that things. they they use the Olivium bomb, the way that that Kirk um, plans the attack on the station, the way they find the station in the first place mm-hmm. to to figure out, you know, uh, the people who are monitoring them and where they might have the information. I, what did you think of all that? I I mean, I thought it was all a really fun part of the story. Um, you know, like the Claude kind of got found out by their own fleet yeah. <laughs> showing up, uh, which he's like, oh, they're, you know, their research post or whoever's out there is probably pretty pissed off that, you know, their military showed up, which they were. Um, but even getting out there and finding out that there's this like 
what was it like a seven sound sonic code that mm. would turn off the little machines that yeah, are like the micro silica. the micro machines micro machines yeah exactly um you know there was a lot of tension there because it was taking a long time to find it. Spock even did a mind meld mm-hmm. with the the main guy on the research asteroid, and if you can call it research, but um, I did with, with the Olivium bomb. It's it's really not that funny, but you know they built the bomb on that mule ship, and they're like, okay, we're gonna give these guys something to think about. And the bomb, I think, turned out a lot bigger than Scotty intended. And like to the point where they could feel it back in the medical ship, which mm-hmm. ended up killing one of the guys mm-hmm. who had the allergies, yeah. which that I feel like ramped up that intensity on that front, too. Because now you're like, OK, these people can die from this allergy. Right. Um, but even Tegan po- pointed out after they felt the explosions that oh my gosh, we're using Olivium to fight. You know, this is insane. And all I could think of was Hiroshima and using a nuke, you know, to send a message essentially, which was maybe a little bit bigger than we intended. Um, So I'm really glad that they only used it once, but, um, you know, to wipe out half of the enemy fleet with one bomb was pretty... I'd say a pretty good way to to gain some ground. Yeah, I, I the this whole part of the story, you know, Kirk even talks about, you know, they are trying to find the scientific solution to this, and that one of the ways to do that is to find the people who created it and go basically straight to the source. And so, so they realize, you know, there has to be some kind of base that's been monitoring this situation somewhere and that, well, that base then would have information regarding these micro-machine killers, you know, um, (laughs) that are enacting this change in the soil which creates the silicone which is taking over. And so... I loved all that. I thought that that was really smart and made a lot of sense, especially with the time crunch that they're under. Um, Mm -hmm. And yes, they would be able to find a scientific solution to this if it wasn't perpetuating so quickly. And so I I think, again, this is where I felt like there's a, the the story helped create a lot of urgency um, with the fact that you had to do something like the Spock mind meld similar to Star Trek six as we'll see, you mm-hmm. know, I, I felt like that was a nice kind of call back to something, you know, for this book will actually happen in the future, but you know, something like that. And so, yeah, I felt like the solution made a lot of sense. Um, and even the, the fact that they have to go to the distance of having the mind melt because the Claude just had the computer pick a seven-digit code without saving it, mm-hmm. you know, and, like, writing it down, basically. And so yeah. all of that, I thought, really, really worked and, and made for um, a, a more intricate solution because every time they felt like they kind of had a leg up, then they had to go find, you know. So it 
just made a, a nice part of the story. And what's really crazy is this book is super quick. Like it is a super small yeah. story. Um, it's not a very large book, but I felt like it's very contained in the sense that like mm-hmm. it knew exactly the story it was trying to tell and it wasn't throwing in a lot of other stuff, which was great, which I think leads us probably to the biggest surprise of the book is that Lillian Coates dies. <laughs> Um, yeah. and I, were you shocked by that? Cause I was pretty shocked by that. I was pretty shocked by it. the fact that they found her alive, got her up to the ship. McCoy was taking care of her. Uh, I had no idea. I was just, I was waiting for Kirk to show up and then mm-hmm. she was going to wake up and maybe be sick for a while, which she was, but you know, that was a heartbreaking scene where Kirk comes in McCoy's just sitting with her and he's like, how's she doing? And he's, and McCoy says, she's not going to make it. And Jim Mm -hmm. says, well, how long does she have? And McCoy goes around and turns off the machines and she dies. And it was, I don't know, like you could almost feel what it would be like to be Mm -hmm. in that room, like with McCoy being so somber um, and even Kirk, I feel like was just in disbelief by it. She'd been brain dead for a couple hours, but you know, Kirk is so used to saving everyone's lives. McCoy's probably yeah. used to saving everyone's lives. And to have someone that Kirk has gotten close to, but purposefully mm-hmm. not you know, that close to, he just enjoyed spending time with her basically and mm-hmm. her son. Um, you know, he doesn't have that luxury all the time. Right. And so then to lose this connection, especially right before he's about to leave anyway, uh, was just heartbreaking. It was, it was heartbreaking because, you know, you had felt that he was starting to feel like this was a place he would want to return you know, that that he would have a reason to want to come back, that he would have a reason to, um, you know, be connected to this place in a way that he never thought I think he ever would. You know, it, it seemed like the relationship they were trying to create for him and Lillian was one that just went beyond, you know, uh, any kind of like one night stand type of thing. Mm-hmm. And that he'd really start to feel for her and, you know, enjoy the, the interactions with her son. And which, you know, and when I think about continuity, where they are, it makes so much sense because he never got that with David. Mm-hmm. And so this story in the context of the larger Star Trek story, I completely get why Kirk becomes attracted to Lillian and the relationship with her son because he was denied that with his own son. Yeah. Um, and I really, I think it's, it's, um, it's actually kind of beautiful and that's what makes this so heartbreaking is because he'll never have that with his own son, right? And so he yeah. kind of and and thankfully her her son isn't dead. Um but you know, he's never going to have that relationship with Carol. 
And he never has that relationship now with Lillian because he doesn't even have the opportunity because she's gone. And so it did make for a really heartbreaking end uh, to the book. Um, And, you know, as we look towards the last book, you know, the Enterprise is due to to be um, relieved of duty here as other Starfleet ships are going to come and they're going to go off. So it, it, it really made for, I think, a very melancholy end uh, to the book itself. So mm-hmm. I'm interested, though, because I feel like so far we pretty much enjoyed the book uh, for the most part. And so I, I'm wondering where you're going to land then on your ratings for Thin Air. Yeah, I gave this one a four on Goodreads. Um, you know, like you said, this is a, a a quick book. It it keeps a good pace. It's, I mean, on my iPad, it was like 120 pages, mm-hmm. which made it real easy. And with short chapters, yeah. which made it really easy to get through. Um, it wasn't bogged down by a lot of extra story. The intensity was kind of natural in it because there was kind of a mm-hmm. sort of a countdown, I guess, in this one. I found that I like because it helps drive the story forward more. Unlike the, um, like the Sulu Chekhov story, I think yeah. that was rough trails that just kind of drug on over months. It seemed like, um, you know, this one's got it all. It's got the action. It's got the heartbreak. It's got, you know, it's got some romance and just the sciency techno babble stuff that we've come to love from Star Trek. Um, you know, I just think this one was really well done, especially this late in the se- uh, in the series. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we, like you said, as we're kind of getting close to wrapping up this series, um, I think that they just did a really good job with it. And I kind of wish we'd had more similar to this one. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, um, you know, after talking about it with you, I actually, I was, I was giving this basically a three point five. Um, but I think it deserves, especially when I'm looking just at the series, I think this deserves a four. Um, I think this might be the most enjoyable book of the series so far. Uh, and part of that is just that with the last book, it really took that into account and it just really felt like a book in a series. Uh, and it was an enjoyable book. The, the storyline was interesting, uh, I thought was well executed, and uh, even the side story was good. So I have absolutely, you know, really no complaints about this book. And in all honesty, having it be a, a quicker, faster paced book, shorter, that was also nice too, because it just felt like an episode, really. Which is a lot of the times when you're reading a Star Trek book, that's kind of what you want. And so I have no complaints. Well, we kind of got both sides of the star ratings this week. We got some comics that maybe were a little lackluster, but a book that we both enjoyed. And so that's always a good way to good way to have a good literary treks episode, having a good book to read. I could not agree more, Casey. And uh, I think it's pretty crazy because coming up, we have a monumental episode of literary treks uh, next, which will be episode 350. Nice. Yeah, I I just can't believe it. So, uh, but before we get to that episode, uh, where can everybody find you if they want to catch up with you? Maybe talk some Star Trek books and see what else you've got going on. Yeah, you can find me on Goodreads, Letterboxd, Instagram, and Twitter at Knitting Trekkie, and you can also find me lurking around the Babel Conference on Facebook, and you can find me doing a podcast 
called Mickey's Marvels, which we talk about everything under the Disney umbrella, including Obi-Wan Kenobi, which will be coming out soon. Very nice. I know you just had an episode of the 602 Club. Yes, yes, we did. Um, I'm going to have to check out uh, y'all's episode as well and uh, see how y'all thought of Obi-Wan Kenobi. But of course, you could find me all over the place under social medias, um, you know, Letterbox, Twitter, Instagram, Vero, any of those type of places under Mount Rushing Zero Two. Uh, you can also uh, find me here on the network doing a bunch of shows. Of course, the Six Hundred Two Club, as we've mentioned, uh, but also uh, I've got the Orb talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Warp Five about Star Trek Enterprise, Saddle Up about Star Trek Strange New Worlds, and the Artificial Tango about Star Trek Picard. And then you'll also find me over on the Nerd Party Network with two shows. One is completed. I did that with Drea Kaufman. We talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series one chapter to time on owl post and then john mills and i talk star wars on aggressive negotiations but thank you so much for joining us and until next time live long and read on you call that light reading to each his own number one